This morning we are continuing to, to draw from uh, this, this theme of worship and what does it look like to have a, a life of worship. Worship in many ways I think is, is about experiencing a greater sense of life with God. And we don't just worship when we come into a sanctuary. We don't just worship in moments of, of quiet at home or, or alone. Uh, but, but it's about experiencing all of life with God and allowing him to, to grow our understanding of who he is, of who we are in him. Last week we spent some time thinking about how our past and in particular, the, the families and households we grew up in have probably shaped the ways we are currently relating to God and, and to one another in the present moment. And how some of those, those patterns or habits may lead us to places where we feel stuck. Where we maybe either feel like we're on a plateau or, or maybe we're in a rut. You know, Something in our life just isn't quite the way we, we sense it should be. But it's hard to figure out how to to move forward. We all have ways of thinking, feeling, patterns of of behaving and relating that that we know are not leading us deeper into life or a life with God. Sometimes, though, God desires to unstick us or, or to move us out of those ruts And he chooses to use circumstances or conditions that aren't always the first ones we ourselves would select. Sometimes the the impetus, the the season that moves us forward, feels a bit like a collision. Feels like hitting a wall, so to speak. It's for that reason that the fourth chapter in the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which we've I've uh, been working through this fall. The fourth chapter in that book is entitled Journey Through the Wall. Now, I'm, I'm okay with going over a wall if it's of, you know, reasonable height. Scaling a wall, that sounds okay to me. Going out of my way even to detour around a wall that's in place. But according to... The, the long history of, of the Christian faith, the, the people who have walked the journey of faith before us, more often than not, our maturity, our growth in our life with God, sometimes requires going through walls. Going through a wall sounds painful. To be honest, it, it also sounds frightening to me. Right? I'd, I'd like to be strong, I'd like to be wise, I'd like to be holy. But I also really like to be safe, I really like to be comfortable. And, and so this talk about going through a wall or, or God using difficult circumstances to grow us is, is one that can feel unsettling. In the 11th century there was a young teen woman named Hildegard. Hildegard, at a young age, I think 12 or 13 likely, she took vows to enter a monastic community, a Benedictine community in what's present-day Germany, southwestern Germany. And she lived uh, among that community for more than 60 years of her life. 
She was given the work of of copying and transcribing scriptures in, in various books. Her life as a nun would have involved the the reading and praying of the daily office, uh, commitment to to worship and song each and every day, multiple times a day. And this formed Hildegard into a woman of deep intellect and incredible faith. And over her many decades, she wrote musical compositions. She's actually one of the most prolific composers of music in, in the medieval period. She wrote scientific treatises. And she wrote reflections on the spiritual life that are now regarded as classics. And even though many of you may not have heard of Hildegard, she's probably one of the most significant women in a thousand years of European history. She was brilliant and talented and gifted. But all of the things that came out of Hildegard's life were also deeply bound up with another aspect of who she was, and that she endured chronic and debilitating pain throughout her life. No one's quite sure exactly what her condition was. She may have had some kind of brain disease or disorder, or these migraines, but migraine's not even a strong enough word for it, these crippling conditions that she would go through. And in a letter she wrote near the end of her life, she was writing to a friend and mentor. She's reflecting back on her many decades. She says, I am constantly fettered, bound up by sickness. I'm often in the grip of pain so intense that it threatens to kill me. But God has sustained me till now. And yet, strangely, it was particularly these seasons of crippling and overwhelming pain that Hildegard said were accompanied by visions of God's love and light. Hildegard is is seen now as something of a a mystic. She had these, these visions or encounters with God in those times. And she says, the light which I see in these moments is far brighter than a a cloud which is carrying the sun. She says, of of the, the love and light of God, I can neither measure its height, nor its length, nor its breadth. But it's a it's a mysterious, all consuming sense of God's love and presence with her. My question is, what do you do with a life like Hildegard's? What do we do with a God who chooses to bring the brilliance of his light and the incredible power of his love simultaneously in these moments of pain and darkness? And I confess there's, there's a lot about that that I don't fully understand. Because I, I believe deeply in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God sees everything in his creation from start to finish. And so that means there's no tragedy, there's no loneliness, there's no pain that we experience that is a surprise to God. But so too I believe just as strongly that scripture says our God is, is the kind of father who is grieved by our tears, who, who hears our longings and our groanings. 
And he's even the kind of God who enters into those forsaken places to be with us. And the way that that all holds together is a mystery. But looking back on my own life, I would notice that there are several seasons where where the circumstances of my life I would choose to have avoided. Periods of darkness or, or dryness or doubt or suffering of some kind. But in nearly every one of those seasons, God has has used those conditions to also attach me more deeply to his love and his presence. To grow in me this sense of of worshiping him and walking with him in a new way. And so this morning I'd like to speak to, to any of you who have been at one of those walls in your life. Maybe God has pulled you through that wall. Maybe you've been there for what feels like a very long time, months, years. And I want you to know that that's not unusual. It's not abnormal. But there is is the presence of God even in that place. That as we endure those times of difficulty, as we learn to, to surrender to God's presence in them, God is forming us, he's making us, he's renewing us, even when we don't see it or feel it or or know it directly. And to to think more about that, we're going to be looking in Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to turn there in your Bibles this morning, let me pray for us as we look into the Word of God. Lord, I pray that your knowledge of all things would give us the ability to rest this morning, to rest in what we do not know, to rest in what we do not see. Lord, I pray that we would grow in our faith and our confidence in your affection as a father who loves his children who is seeking to to grow us up. To walk with you all the days of our lives. Lord, I pray now as I teach, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we read sections from... Hebrews chapter 11. And if you remember back to that that passage of scripture, again, they're they're spoken to the addressees of this letter in a a time of great difficulty. These people who are reading the, the letter to the Hebrews are undergoing great hardship. They're being persecuted. They're being separated from their families for their faith. And chapter 11 speaks about in those times of difficulty... Faith is the ability to see what God sees. Faith and hope is is the ability to have a kind of vision, to see our reality in the way that that God sees it, but we may not in the moment. Today, as we move into chapter 12, here again the author has in view those times of challenge, the, the times where we come up against hardship and resistance 
And as he's moving into chapter 12, the author of Hebrews recalls a verse from the book of Proverbs that says, The Lord disciplines those that he loves. The author of Hebrews is connecting this idea of of hardship or challenge with love in, in the midst of that season. And it tells us that those difficult seasons can be a catalyst for revealing more deeply who God is as our Father. Look at verses 7 through 9 here. It says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons or daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Now, right out of the gate, I think it's important to talk about this word, discipline. Because when I read this passage, I often assume discipline means something like punishment. Right? Back in my own school days, the the term disciplinary action was reserved for problem students, right? It meant a trip to the principal's office. It meant detention or, or some other negative consequence. In many cases, today when we talk about a parent disciplining their child, right, it's, it's for uh, the, the child having made a mistake of some kind, of, of acting out in some way, and then us providing a kind of consequence as a result. And so I think it's easy when we, we come to verse 6 here, it's easy to assume that verse 6 is saying something like this. When times of hardship come, endure them as a sign of God's punishment in your life. It's easy for us, maybe even subconsciously, to to read that into the text here. But let me just sort of throw up a red flag right now and say I do not think that's even close to what the intent of this scripture is. And if we're not careful, we would arrive at a very twisted picture of what God is like. That God punishes us somehow with suffering or difficult circumstances. Now discipline is clearly a key word in this passage. The term shows up five times in these three verses. But in each case, the word discipline here represents a translation of the Greek word paideia. And paideia is essentially the the kind of buzzword of the ancient world around the whole concept of education. All sorts of different kinds of training and teaching and mentoring and development of young people were described by this term paideia. They were all a part of that educational paradigm. And and the overall purpose of paideia is this. It's to take a young person, a child... And through various experiences, through, through sort of intentional engagement, to help them grow up into physical and, and cognitive and emotional and civic responsibilities 
And I think if we understand that, that that's uh, kind of the dimension or the, the broad range of what this term discipline or paideia means, then we're getting closer to what the author of Hebrews has in mind here. He's saying we have a father who cares enough about us, who's interested enough in us and in our development to participate, to come alongside us in our paideia, our discipline. And again, the primary goal of that whole process is bringing about our spiritual maturity. But I think here's where the tricky part comes in. Verse 6 says, we are to endure hardship as paideia. Endure hardship as discipline, as formation, as development. Meaning that sometimes God in his love and care for us as a father allows and, and chooses to allow difficult things to help make us mature. Now, on the one hand, I don't think that God goes out of his way looking to bring suffering or persecution or doubt into the lives of his people. But he knows they are there. They are part of our reality. And the incredible thing about the fatherhood of our God is that even under the very worst, the the most unideal conditions in our life, God offers and promises to allow us to keep growing, to keep maturing. And it says that when our lives hit upon hardship, there are two choices that we can make to to move toward him, to participate, to invite him to keep working. And those two choices are endurance and surrender. Verse 7 says, we are to endure hardship as training or as discipline or as paideia. And verse 9 says that as we do that, we are to submit or to surrender to the Father of spirits and live. Of course, my question is, well, how can we both endure and surrender at the same time? Doesn't one of those terms mean, mean to hang on and the other term mean to give up? How do you do both of them at the same time? Well, I think in this case, these two verbs are applied to different objects. We're called to do them at the same time, but, but with respect to different things. Verse 6 says, when we are confronted with suffering or injustice or hardship or doubt or, or whatever it is that we just cannot understand or explain, Scripture calls us to endure Instead of giving up, we are to cling to God, to sustain our position. But as we we hold fast, as we do not give up, but instead endure and cling to God, we are also called to continually surrender or submit or to let go. Not to surrender to our circumstances and in despair, but instead surrender our lives to God in that place. 
surrender our need to be in control of those circumstances. And it says, as we do that, we are yielded to the Father of spirits who brings life. We, We endure, we remain steadfast, we cling to him, but we also loosen our grip and yield the circumstances and our need for control to him so that he can work his life in us. And as this passage goes on, it says that even as we, we endure those things, we might not see them, we might not feel them, we might not know them immediately, but God is cultivating a kind of hidden harvest within us during those seasons. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines and forms us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. Now, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Essentially, there's an analogy here that's working from our own experiences, either having been parented or maybe now as a parent, and and working from those toward a picture of of who God is like and what our situation is like with him as a result. And the author says, we know what it is to, to have earthly parents whose wisdom is limited, whose experience is limited, and and who parent us only over a portion of years in our life. But even those parents somehow manage to deliver us into adulthood. Maybe not perfectly, but, but there's a kind of maturity that even they were able to bring about in us as their children. And working from that reality, Scripture says, how much more then will God who is a father who is infinite in wisdom, who never stops working with us, and who who works in our lives entirely with a regard for our own good. How much more will he grow us up? How much more will he deliver us into maturity so that we might become like he is? We might become holy. Holiness is, is this idea that we... We share in God's nature and character. Verse 11 goes on to say that he will use every circumstance in our lives to produce this kind of fruitfulness and harvest inside of us. It says discipline and hardship are never pleasant in the moment, but they can be fruitful. In Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Peter Scazzaro describes some of the fruitfulness that comes through seasons of hardship and difficulty. If you think about, either if you're in one of those seasons now or if you've been in the past, maybe God has grown these things in you. He says, in difficult seasons, God can teach us a greater awareness of our own frailty our own limitation, so that we refrain from being quick to judge others. We we develop a a greater sense of our own brokenness 
and we show mercy then to those who are broken. In seasons of great difficulty, we also gain an appreciation for, for how big God is. That there's a mystery here we don't understand. We can't command God. We can't control him. And that's actually a good thing for us. Seasons of hardship teach us patience to wait, to wait on him. And finally, teachings of, seasons of hardship can also teach us to be detached from, to, to break our dependence on secondary things in our life. Things that are good, but not ultimate. Things that we assume we need, but, but when they are removed, we find ourselves more deeply dependent, more deeply attached to God instead. And so each of these gifts that he describes here, I think they're part of this harvest of righteousness and peace mentioned in verse 11. Right, the inner working of God to grow us up. But verse 11 says that that growth only happens if we choose to be trained by God in that season. If we allow God's working to, to, to work about these circumstances. And that word trained at the end of verse 11, verse 11 is, a, is a physical term. It's taken from the Greek word uh, or verb gymnazo, which is suggestive of, of a gymnasium, right? The, the place of formation and education and schooling in the Greco-Roman world. To grow in righteousness and peace is something we have to practice, something we have to engage in training with. And that involves our bodies. It's a physical thing. It involves our spirits. It involves the surrender of our wills. And, and all of those things working together to learn those postures of endurance and surrender. Clinging to God and also surrendering our circumstances to Him. And that kind of training is not easy, verse 11 says. But we have a teacher, we have a personal trainer, if you will. We have been given an incredible example of one who has undergone that training and, and flourished and developed into a full and, and beautiful and robust sense of what a human being, a child of God, looks like. And of course, that person is the Son, the true Son of God, Jesus Christ. And at the beginning of this same chapter, back in verses 1 through 3, we're told to look upon him, to follow him, to let him lead us in this life of discipline. Halfway through verse 1 here. It says, let us run then with perseverance. It's the same word as endurance in verse 6. Let us run with endurance. Let us run with perseverance. This race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured, the same word again, the cross. He scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider, look upon him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. 
Last week in Hebrews 11, the chapter before this, we talked about faith as spiritual sight. Faith is seeing reality as God sees it. And here at the start of chapter 12, we are again told about a kind of spiritual sight. We're told where it is we're to fix our gaze. It says, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon the one who as he runs through life, as he has run the race of faith, he is a perfect picture of what faithfulness looks like. Chapter 12 says that, that he's like a pioneer. He's like an endurance athlete who's run this course ahead of us. He knows each and every turn and every stretch of that race because he's run it in advance. Jesus is the one who's been fully trained, fully mature. And the evidence of that is that he is willing to endure not just any hardship, but the hardship, the difficulty, the affliction of the cross itself. And this reminds us that when we are going through hardship, God is not asking us to endure anything he has not endured himself and endured in spades. When verse 6 asks us to endure hardship as God's discipline, we are only following Jesus God himself in human flesh. Following him into a territory he knows far better than we do. But that in some small way, as as the Apostle Paul says, he permits us, he allows us to share in the sufferings of Christ. But Jesus has gone first. He's gone before us there. Last weekend, maybe some of you followed the news that the world's fastest marathoner, uh, his name's Eliud Kipchoge. He ran a marathon distance in one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds. It was the first time in human history that someone has broken the, the two-hour mark at that distance. And Kipchoge, he's a man of faith. Uh, he has a reputation of smashing world records in endurance races and smiling his way through it. Grins through his race. And he said of his motivation in this particular race, this was a a carefully coordinated race he was training for, for months to prepare for. But he said this about his motivation He said, I am the happiest man when I inspire other people. And he said that now that he has run a marathon distance in under two hours, I'm expecting more athletes from all over the world to, to break this threshold. Right? His, his desire, his motivation, was, was to reach a goal so that others might reach it after him. Right? To inspire others. And according to verse 2 here, Jesus' motivation to live the life he lived, to go even to the cross itself was not for his own glory, but to inspire others, to bring others through that experience into the fullness of life. It says it was for the joy set before him. The joy of, of running that race, 
of sitting down beside the Father and knowing that through the faithfulness of Christ, He might enable us not to become weary, not to lose heart. And so Jesus stands with us. Jesus walks beside us. Jesus runs beside us this race of endurance in order that we might be more deeply attached to him and who he is and what he is doing in us, even in those darkest and most difficult seasons. Do you pray with me? Lord, I pray that we would be gracious to one another and gracious to ourselves if we find ourselves struggling and in a season of prolonged difficulty and and even wondering where you are and what you're doing. Lord, help us to fix our gaze upon you. Confident that even in the darkest of places, you can illuminate us with your love and light. And that you will sustain us as you sustained your son. You will bring us through. You will grow within us a harvest of righteousness and peace. Lord, would you give us strength from this body of whom you are the head today. In Jesus' name we pray.